0: We learned to sing, was this one? Let God arise, and His enemies be scattered. Now this is very scriptural. We uh, we serve a risen Savior, Amen. Amen. And our God is still alive and well and on the throne, and our enemies are scattered. Trust me, they they fear us. They really do. They fear the Word of God, especially. That's where that's what our main defense is. When Satan comes in raise up the standard against him the word of god and you preach the word and you you witness and you use the word of god he doesn't like it but that's too bad he's going to leave amen we have the victory already we don't fight for it we have it so let's uh, I'll sing through one of the first verse and <clears throat> you can join me on the second and she's going to do her very best to play what we can do amen we'll see what happens amen I'm going to leave this song with you, so I'm going to go. When I go away, you're stuck with it too. Amen. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let God, let God arise. Now together, our God arose and his enemies were scattered. Our God arose and his enemies were scattered. Our God arose and his enemies were scattered. Our God, our God arose. Let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. Let God, let God be true. We'll praise the Lord and shame on the devil. We'll praise the Lord and shame on the devil. We'll praise the Lord and shame on the devil. We'll praise, we'll praise the Lord. Very good. Amen. You guys um, practice that this while, maybe tomorrow night we'll sing it again. Amen. Okay. You have a Bible tonight. You ought to thank God. Somebody sacrificed to get you the Word of God. You realize the English Bible, when it was being translated by William Tyndale for us, the King James Bible, we uh, didn't realize the power that was in it. But he was being persecuted, and as he translated the Word of God and completed the English Bible, they loved him so much, they hung him and burned him at the stake for giving us the opportunity to have the Word of God so that even the plowman could know the Word of God. Amen. And we have the Word of God because of men like Tyndale and others that gave themselves sacrificially to make sure the next generation had a pure copy of the Word of God. Our responsibility as believers is to pass on what God has given to us and to make sure that the next generation has a pure copy of the Word of God. And then, of course, it's important that we preach the gospel to every creature, and uh, the only way they can hear the pure gospel is to have a copy of the Word of God. Men can't get saved without the Bible. Did you know that? Faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the Word of God. Without faith, the Bible says, it's impossible to please God. We need to have faith to believe that God is who he said he is. We need to have the faith in God to believe that his word is sufficient to give us all that we need so that we can grow in grace and the knowledge of the truth, and, uh, and, and we need to be willing to share that gospel with everybody. I mean, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Romans tells us it's the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. And, you know, you and I have, Jesus said we have all power given to us. Amen. You and I have more power than we ever use. We, we need to just tap in every day to the power supply. This is, this is the power supply. This is better than, than uh, oh, any kind of power supply you can think of. This one here will change a man's life or a woman's life or anybody's life and give them a new life in Christ. Jesus came. He said that we might have life and have it more abundantly. I don't think God is interested in us living a, a, a sad, uneventful, poor life with no nothing to do, you know. He's given us a job to do, and we're to occupy it till he comes. By the way, how many believe he's coming back? You believe that? I believe he's coming back very soon. I believe our world is getting so set up even now that He could come back tonight, and it wouldn't bother me a bit. But there are people that aren't saved that we still are working on, amen? But we need to just be faithful in spite of the eminence of his coming. We need to be acting like he's not coming, amen? And we need to be involved getting out the Word of God. Turn in your Bibles uh, over again to 2 Corinthians, this time chapter 9. Yesterday, we talked about chapter 8 and how they gave themselves first, unto the Lord, and how that they were willing to give out of the, what they had, not what they didn't have, and they were willing to sacrifice and give their all to God, amen? Putting God first is very important in our lives. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God doesn't mind if you have things. It's okay to have a nice boat, by the way. Did you know that? God doesn't mind that you have a nice boat. The problem is if the boat has you. You understand? God doesn't want you to worship the boat. He wants you to worship him. And God will give you the things that you need in your life. He knows your life. He knows what you need more than you know what you need. I told you stories last night about bread and different things. I I am sometimes embarrassed to actually say to people that I'm, you know, I'm I'm having to trust God for something special. He already knows about it, amen? I mean, when my wife and I got married, even before I was saved, you know, God was working in our lives, I believe that. We, We told each other, we knew that God put us together. We didn't even know God, you know, we weren't saved yet. But we knew it was God was working in our lives. When I was in Vietnam and we'd get in a firefight and, and you know and bullets would be flying around. And I remember one particular firefight. I was driving this boat and we're doing we had two 12 v 71 diesels and them things could cruise out at about 36 knots in full bore. But I will to tell you something, it was never faster than a bullet. I mean, we, we, we turned the boat around in this river and we started heading out and we were the lead boat and they were shooting at us from two two river banks with thirty caliber machine guns. And there was a wall of red tracers It looked like a line of wire in front of the boat as we went through this bullet system, just hundreds of bullets. And uh, it was like bang, 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 hitting the windows, blew up the compass in front of me, hit my light, hanging by the wire. I had a bullet hit between my hands and ricochet across behind me. I, when it was all over, I had seven bullet holes in my seat, the back of my seat, no bullet holes in me, not even a glass scratch because all the windows are blown out of the pilot house. And the boat officer sitting next to me, he was just as spared as I was. That's the grace of God. I wasn't even a Christian, and God protected me. And you know, even as a lost man, you know what I did? I thanked God because I'll tell you what, when you're in the foxhole getting shot at, you realize God's in control, amen? Amen. And when you survive something like that, it, it's real easy to believe God, amen? The problem is we, we tend to quickly forget what he's doing in our lives. I had no idea that God was going to call me to preach one day. But he had that planned long before I was born. God, I remember as a kid, my dad would always say, you have the gift of gab, Jim. It would be nice if you were on the radio, then I could shut you off. <laughs> but anyway... I don't know what he meant by that, but anyway, huh? All right, I tried to get on TV once, but he told me to get off the top of it. That's when we had those big TVs, you know. Anyway, I used, let's, where did that come from? I have no idea, but it was, it's different. Amen. Anyway, God wants us to be faithful in our giving, He wants us to give ourselves first, give regularly. I mean, don't don't put off tomorrow what you can do today, amen? You might be gone tomorrow, and you won't be able to do it today, okay? So get it done before you go, amen? Uh, and here in 2 Corinthians 9, I want you to read with me uh, from verse 1. We'll read through verse, oh, I think we'll go uh, 9. We'll go through verse 9. But I'd like you to read verse 6, 7, and 8 with me together, okay? <clears throat> For as touching the ministering to the saints... It is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know that the forwardness of your mind for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia and that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf. That as I said ye may be ready, lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we that we say not, ye should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore, I thought of it necessity necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before you unto you and make up beforehand your bounty. Whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not of covetousness, as of covetousness. Now together, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward, all, toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given the, to, the, to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever." The Word of God teaches us that when we give to God, he's not going to be a debtor to us. We could never outgive him. The more you give, truthfully, the more you get. You know, if a farmer goes to the field and he sows corn, he's not going to get back beans. He's going to get back corn. And I wish I had one with me, but you can imagine this. We have a farm field right next to my house. And that guy goes and he plants that whole 40 acres. And that all comes up. He puts one kernel in the ground here, one there, one there, and then all his stalks come up. Every one of them stalks has at least two cobs on it. He puts in one kernel of corn, and he gets back two cobs of corn. And I've ripped them off over there, and I've counted every kernel on some of these cobs. Some have as many as 780 kernels of corn on a cob. But he only put one in the ground. We got 780 back on the one cob, and then the other one might have another 700. You think about that a minute. He sowed one kernel, and he reaped over almost 1,500. Now, he wouldn't plant that field if he only got back one kernel for each stalk. I guarantee you. But he knows that what he sows, he reaps. And you usually reap a whole lot more than you sow, amen? Whether it be corn or beans, uh, if you're sowing wickedness, you're going to reap a lot more wickedness. If you sow good, you're going to reap a lot of good. What you sow, you reap. So I recommend you do good, amen? Sow good things, good deeds. Look at people like they're dying and going to hell, because most of them are, amen? And then talk to them like they're going to hell, because if you don't witness to them, who will? I mean, you can't wait for somebody else to talk to somebody. Everywhere I go, I, I'm honest, and I'm being honest, I, I probably embarrass my kids but I talk to people. I give a gospel track. I make it a point to just even fun, in fun witness to them in some way like, I hope I can see you in heaven. I had a guy today tell me, I said, Do you know, for sure if you die today, you'd go to heaven. He said, well, I sure hope so. I said, you know, you can know that. Really? Yeah, you can. And I showed him the gospel track, and he said, I'll think about it. I hope he thinks real hard. I hope he gets saved. Amen. He can't think about it enough because once here's the key to things. When you and I plant a seed, it's not our job to win them. Whose job is it to win them to the Lord? The Holy Spirit. We plant the seed, and then God sends somebody along to water that seed, and then God sends somebody else to water it, and before you know it, it's like in my case, everywhere I seem to move, I got turned everywhere but loose, and then one day, Boom, the bite bulb came on, and this hard-headed, hard-hearted guy got saved, amen? I realized I was lost and on my way to a Christless eternity in a place called hell, and I needed a Savior, but it took a while for my fruit to grow, amen? You don't just plant a kernel of corn in the ground and pick it tomorrow. Some of it takes all summer. Some takes a little longer. Some is 90-day corn, 120-day corn. I've seen it. Uh, I know this, I I don't plant tomatoes hoping not to get any tomatoes back, amen? Neither do you, right? We we plant things hoping to get a harvest. And the harvest is important to us to continue on and to eat and whatever. You guys that go fishing, uh, you don't go out there just to have a good boat ride, although it's probably a good boat ride. You go out there to catch fish or shrimp or whatever you're out there for, or you wouldn't waste your time doing it. If you went out there and didn't catch anything, you'd say. Well, eventually, if you did that every day and never caught a thing, pretty soon your wife would say, you know, you're wasting your time. You better find another occupation. But you go out there because you know that God will bless you. And you go faithfully because you're trying to do something to help your family, to feed your family. And God wants to bless your family. God wants to honor you. God wants to bless you. God wants to give you these things. And he's, not, he's no respecter of persons. I believe he loves the lost like he loves the saved. You know why? Because he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He loves the lost man as much as he loves the saved man. But you know, that lost man is not going to get saved if the saved man don't talk to him. Amen? Again, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. This passage in in, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he talks about they that so sparingly reap sparingly, they which so bountifully reap bountifully. A farmer don't just put one kernel in the ground. He covers the whole field, amen? He's trying to get a bountiful harvest, and we ought to do the same thing. You know, when you give out one gospel tract, that's a great thing. But if you give out one to everybody you meet every day... That's a lot of gospel tracts, amen? You think about the seed being sown. It's the Word of God. When you witness to somebody, you're planting seed. And if everybody does that, eventually people are going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have a friend I was with in the Navy. We uh, were on the same ship. He was the ship's barber. His name was Ernesto Altamari. Now, that's as Italian as you can get. His uncle was a mafia boss in New Jersey, and his whole goal in life was when he got out of the Navy, he was going to start a, a salon or a barber shop. But his goal was to cut his uncle's hair because his uncle paid the barber $1,000 a week to cut his hair. This is way back in the 60s, okay? 70s, early 70s. And Ernie was looking forward to doing something like that. And that was his goal in life to get a barber shop to cut his uncle's hair and make $1,000 from him a week. But there was a side to that that he didn't like. If he did a bad job, he'd never live to cut it again, amen? You know, the mafia has a way of getting rid of people, and, my, and, and Ernie knew that. Well, anyway, I got saved just before I got out of the, out of the Navy. I never had a chance to witness to Ernesto Multimari. The ship went on a med cruise, and they had me scheduled to go on the med cruise, but God answered my prayers because God's a God of power. And uh, I went to get a, a early out, and I put in a request, and my division officer turned me down. And I prayed about it, and I went to see the XO, and he turned me down. And I went to see the captain, and he turned me down. And w- they were saying I was a critical rate. I was a senior petty officer in our division. I was filling a billet of fi- E-5. I was only an E-4, but they told me I needed to ship over for six more months to to be able to go on the med cruise, and I said, I'm not shipping for six minutes. I'm getting off this ship, and the, they said, you're not getting off. You're going, and I said, I'm not going. I'm, I've been praying about it, and I'm a young Christian, but God can answer prayer. They said, you're going, and so then I thought about it, and finally I remembered that our ship was the flagship. We had the Admiral aboard, and on the midwatch, when I was on the quarter deck at night, you know, about 1130, he'd come up there in his robe and slippers, and then they're not exactly the kind you salute. Then you just hello, sir. How are you? And it's pretty chit chat talk. Anyway, he says to me, "Hey, Jim, I know you're married. And can you can you fry up some hamburgers? I don't want to wake up my steward. I, I just soon. Uh, can you make a couple of hamburgers, one for you, one for me, and make me some coffee? Yes, sir, I can do that. And I'd go in the wardroom and I'd cook up a hamburger for him. And I we we sat and chit chat about my family, my children. And I went to, decided to go see the admiral about getting off that ship, so I knocked on his door and he said, uh, "Hey, Jim, are you what's the matter?" I said, "Sir, I've been trying to get a early out, and uh, they refused it. My division officer turned me down, XO, the captain. He said, uh, what, "What are you plan, what are your plans?" I said, I took my wife back to Green Bay and my kids and I'm a, I'll, be, I'll be discharged." Halfway across the med, if I go, I'm not planning to extend, and you're going to have to fly me back, off, you know, somehow, back to the States, because I am not going to extend anymore. He said, you're really serious about this? I said, yes, sir. I've been praying about this, and I really believe that I'm supposed to be with my family. The first, Our first three years of marriage, we were together six months, if you add up our leave time, just long enough to get my wife pregnant or something, you know, and then gone, and we hardly ever saw each other. And I, he said, Jim, you seem like you're really serious about this. I said, I am, sir. He said, let me see that piece of paper. And he looked at it, and he said, okay, and he signed it. Do You know what happened? I went to my division officer and showed it to him, and he got mad. I went over his head, but I went through the chain of command because that's what you're supposed to do. And you know what I did? I packed my sea bag. And at 7.30 in the morning, I got off the ship. I walked down the gangway and stood on the pier, and I waved goodbye as they pulled out at 8 o'clock. And I went to the base, and I was assigned to the base, and uh, I was there for 30 days mustering out, and I came home. God answered that prayer. I saw God meet many needs in my life. I tried to quit smoking. Oh, man, I was a chimney. I smoked three packs a day. I smoked a pipe. I was a nervous wreck. I even smoked cigars, tried to be like Clint Eastwood and smoked those little th- whatever them were. Anyway, but I was killing myself, and I didn't realize that I couldn't run up a flight of stairs without coughing and hacking half my guts out, just spitting and sputtering. And a doctor on the ship said to me one day, uh, you got a filter in that pipe? I said, no, sir. He said, uh, you better go back to cigarettes with a filter and throw the pipe away. You'll die slower. And I never forgot that. And uh, one morning, I was in a hurry. The night before we went to bed, my wife and I, I said, we, we were only saved a few months, you know. And I said, Lord, if you're real in our life, you know I've been trying to quit. God, I really need your help. I've even chewed Nicoban while I smoke, Lord. And I do, you know, I can't quit smoking. It seems like I, I get around people smoking next thing I know I'm smoking too. And I said, please help me. If you can help me, I really need your help. Believe me, God can help us. That night I fell asleep, which is a good thing. But I woke up late for work at the ship. Normally I had a cigarette before I got out of bed. But that morning I had such a hurry, I was so late, I jumped out of bed, jumped in my clothes, took off to the ship, forgot the cigarettes. I got to the ship, I went up the gangway, I got to my duty station, they were at General Quarters Drills, And I got to where I was supposed to be, and my my division officer covered for me. And I went in there, and uh, we were working about an hour, hour or so, and they finally secured from the drill. And the guy came over to the PA and said, the smoking lamp is now lit throughout the ship. First time I thought of a cigarette since I prayed the night before. And the impulse was to reach for a cigarette. I didn't have any. So I said to my friend, Can you give me a cigarette? Yeah, sure, Jim. He gave me a cigarette. God is my witness. I lit that cigarette up. Now, I'd been smoking about seven or eight years. When I lit that cigarette up, and I took a drag on that cigarette, I got nauseated, lightheaded. I got sick, just like the first cigarette I ever took. I couldn't believe it. I ran out the hatch, opened it, hanging over the side of the ship, trying to get a breath. I took another drag on that cigarette, and the Lord said to me, you asked me to help you. When are you going to let me? I said, "Thank you, Lord." And threw that in the Chesapeake Bay, and never had cigarettes since. I couldn't even be around people that smoked. I would get sick. I still to this day, if I go visit people that smoke and I'm there more than an hour, I'll get bronchitis. I'll get, I get sick. I can't. I can't. He made me sick, literally, of my cig, of my cigarettes. Okay, you know, God can deliver you way he got me off of drinking, because I was a drunken sailor, remember? I got out of the Navy. My mother owned a bar, uh, Green Bay, right on Broadway. The Bible says broad is the way that leads to destruction. I believe that on, that on that road, amen? My mother had that tavern, and she was grooming it for me to take over when I got out of the Navy. But God had a better plan. And when I got out, I, I'd gotten saved three months before I got out. So I moved back to Green Bay, and my mother said, uh, how come you never come over? I said, well, come over. So I went over to her house. How come you never come down to the bar? Well, God don't want me down there. I don't believe I belong down there. But uh, she said, can you at least come down and fix my screen door? I said, I'll come down in the daytime, and I'll fix the screen door, just because you're my mom. And I fixed the screen door, and I went inside to say goodbye, and she said, here, let me give you a soda, so she gave me a Coke, and I drank it. And while I'm drinking it, this drunk guy comes in who I knew for years. He was the, like town drunk, mean, he, uh, he, so, he was never sober. I don't think I ever saw him sober. He's standing there next to me, and I, I started thinking about him, and I reached in my pocket, and I took out a New Testament. And I started to witness to him. And he says to me, Jimmy, if you're a Christian, why are you in, his, in this place? you don't belong here. And it was like getting hit in the face with a brick because I didn't realize it, but the Holy Spirit was using that man to convict me of my being in that place. I found out they live other places. I don't have to meet them in the bar. Although I could meet them outside the bar, and that's how I saw God close the bar. I got a burden for my mother, and I went out every night after work, and 11.30 at night I'd get out on Broadway and pass out tracks, and, and I'd witness to people, and I went up and down Broadway in front of the bar, and I gave out tracks to everybody out there in the street. I mean, I stayed out there till the closing, 2.30 in the morning, and the cop on the beat, he got worried about me because I might get hurt out there, he said. I said, no, I don't think I can get hurt because God knows I'm here, and not, not only that, he, I said, you're following me. He said, that's just it. You're making my life hard. If something happens to you on my beat, i got to answer for you. I said, no, God will take care of me. But I'll tell you, if it makes it any easier, I'll bring a friend with me tomorrow. And I brought a friend out then after that. was able to lead 13 people to the Lord in four weeks during the month of November at night, and it was cold out there. One guy gets out of a cab, and I went to witness to him. I gave him a track, and I said, here, sir, I want to give you this gospel track. And he looked at it. I don't, know why. I don't need that, and he threw it in my face. Oh, I said, wait a minute, you need this one. Pulled out another one and said, what to do to go to hell? It's totally blank. Oh, did he get mad. You know, some people get mad, but eventually they get glad. I got mad at the guy, and I'm glad, but he took that track, and he went into the bar, and he goes up there, and he he orders a beer from my mother. He slams his fist down on the bar and says, there's some idiot out there giving these away, and I'm going to beat the snot out of him as soon as I'm done drinking this beer. And my mother said to him, That's my son. You better leave him alone. And the guy lost it, man. He went right out the back door, down the alley. I never saw him again. Do you know God can protect you? The next day, my mother called me, and she said, you can stop doing this. I said, why? Well, the city contacted us, and they condemned our building. I said, really? Yeah. Well, I said, Mom, God condemned that stuff long ago. And they had to shut the bar down, and the city closed the building. Amen. Ain't that amazing? We serve a God that's all-powerful. He's still able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And I, he's no respecter of persons. I, you're not looking at any special guy. I'm telling you. I'm just a dumb old country boy that ain't so very smart. When I talk, I get mixed up. My gears are slow to start. Some, one day, I went down to the jailhouse once to witness to the Lord. I told him how the Lord saved me. They sure look mighty bored. They nudged each other, and they smiled. They said, "Wooey, he's dumb. But they stayed in, and I walked out when leaving time had come. I'm just a dumb old country boy. I hope I'll always be just dumb enough to trust the Lord for all eternity when it comes to traveling on. No brain, not too smart. I'm just a dumb old country boy with Jesus in my heart. He can change your life. He can give you a new life. He wants you and I to participate by being involved, by giving of ourselves back to him. He gave himself for us that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He wants us to commit ourselves to him and say, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Use me mightily for thee, Lord. Give me a vision of what you want me to do. The Bible says where there's no vision, people perish. Missionaries come here and they talk about their vision to go into different countries and take the gospel to people in all nations. And you know the gospel, it says there in that verse, Mark 13, 10, and the gospel must first be published among all nations. Do you know what I believe that is? It's a prophecy. Until the gospel is published among all nations, Jesus will not come back. And you and I are the only ones that hold back that happening. We keep the Lord from fulfilling His coming back by not witnessing, by not doing what He's told us to do. He wants us to be faithful, and He said He would equip us. He said He'd go with us. He'd go before us and prepare the way. I mean, there's no good thing He'll withhold from them that walk uprightly, the Bible said. In this passage, it says, they would sow sparingly, reap sparingly. They would sow bountifully. Reap bountifully. I don't care what you sow, but if you sow the gospel bountifully, you are going to reap bountifully. I mean, you've got friends and neighbors that they're not saved. They're going to die and go to a Christless eternity in a place called hell. They're going to burn forever in outer darkness, and they're going to be mad at you for eternity because you didn't witness to them. I don't want their blood on my hands. I don't want the blood of people on my hands. I want to be able to say, God, I did my best. And I want to hear from him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He's looking for faithful people that will give of themselves so that others can know Christ as their Savior. It's a simple combination. He's not, it's nothing too complex. You don't have to have a doctor's degree. You have to find a drunk in a stump. You already know more than he does if you even read the Bible a little bit. You know how to get saved. If you are saved, you know exactly what happened to you, and all you need to do is share your testimony. The Bible says in Revelation that they overcame him, that is the devil he's talking about, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Your testimony is so powerful. You have a powerful tool. You just have to learn to use it, amen? It's probably the most powerful tool in your toolbox to reach somebody for Christ. You need to tell them how you got saved and what happened. And uh, they may not believe a word you say. It doesn't matter. It happened. And you know it's true. And if they watch your life, they know you're different. Amen? I guarantee you most of my relatives know I'm different. I have the privilege of preaching a number of funerals in my family. I even got to preach my great, lead my grandmother, 92 years old, to the Lord, who was Roman Catholic all her life. I got to lead her to the Lord, and got to preach her funeral. I got to preach her brother's funeral. I got to preach my uncle, several of my uncle's funerals, my aunt's funerals. I've gotten to preach relatives' funerals, and I had a cousin call me up one day and said, "Jimmy, I don't know any preachers, and you preached my grandma's funeral there, and I wondered, can you preach my dad's funeral?" And I said, "Sure, Dave, I'll, I'll preach his funeral." And he says to me, yeah, but don't preach to me like I'm the only sinner in the family. I said, what are you talking about? Well, you know, at Grandma's funeral, you looked at me the whole time you were preaching. I said, Dave, I never look at anybody the whole time. Fact is, everybody in the, from the fourth row back is so blurry, I couldn't tell who you are, really. I could barely tell if you're a woman or a man. But anyway, I, without my glasses, you know, I said, no way, Dave. He said, well, I felt like you were looking at me all the time. I said, well, if you felt that way, it was the Holy Spirit looking at you. You need to get saved, Dave. Dave was a drug pusher. Dave was in really bad shape, messed up with drug, different things. Ended up, I did the funeral. Later on, when Dave died, I went to see him before he died. He said, you can come in, but don't you bring that Bible in. I don't want nothing to do with the Bible. He said, God don't love me. I said, God loves you. He would not let me talk to him about the Lord. He would not let me pray for him. And he said, I do not want any funeral. I want to be cremated and just buried in the ground. Well, he was burned in cremation, he's still burning tonight as far as I know. He rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. I begged him to get saved. I don't know about you, but that breaks my heart. There's nothing you can do except try. But if they refuse, their blood is not on your hands. You have to be faithful to witness. They have to respond to God, not you. They need to do what God tells them to do. God expects us to sow and to reap. God expects us to give, not grudgingly in verse 7, out of necessity. Oh, I'm not begging for money. I don't even care if you ever support me. It really doesn't matter to me. You know who takes care of me? One person, God. I've been in this work for 46 years. I haven't lost any weight, have I? I mean, honestly, anywhere he wants me to go, he has supplied for me to be there. I don't care what country. I've been to Zambia. I've been to Zimbabwe. I've been to Germany, England, France, Ireland, Scotland. I've been to Norway, not Scotland, Norway, Sweden, Denmark. I've been to Venezuela four times. I've been to El Salvador during the Nicaragua War. And the Sandinistas were fighting. I've been to Nicaragua itself. I've been to Costa Rica four times. I've been to Mexico 76 times. I've been to Canada about 20 times. I want to tell you something. When God wants me to go, I just say, okay, and I pack my bag. The fact is, I keep a bag packed all the time. The only thing I do is change the underwear in it. (laughs) And then when I'm going, I'm ready to go. And uh, I said, Lord, use me, and I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I'll say anything you want me to say. If you'll go with me, and you know he's always gone with me. In fact, he's gone before me. He's prepared the way. And many times there has been trips I went on to, like to Mexico City. One time I left home with thirty-seven cents in my pocket. I came back home with sixty-five dollars in my pocket. I went all the way from Delaware to Mexico City. I didn't even have a ticket on the plane. I preached in a church, and they bought me a ticket, flew me as far as Baltimore. From Baltimore, I flew, I, I left. I, they took me to Baltimore. I flew from Baltimore to Cincinnati. I got on a bus with Carlos Demers going to Mexico. And on the way down to the border, I said, Carlos, how am I going to get to Mexico City? They wanted me to come down and teach printing in this church because they had a printing press and nobody could teach them. And I didn't speak a lick of Spanish, honestly. I barely could say, you know, fajoles and tacos or something. But anyway, so I don't know how you're going to get there. And so we prayed about it, and then we just rejoiced. I said, well, if I can't get there, I'll just go with you into Monterey. We get to the border, and there's a guy there who was flown up by the church in Mexico City to pick me up. I didn't know about it. He had two plane tickets, one for him, one for me, to fly me and him back to Mexico City. We made arrangements, Carlos and I, that I would fly from Mexico City to Monterey and then come out with him with the group back, heading home again to, to Baltimore. Well... So in or to Cincinnati anyway, so I worked all week training people. We had eight, about eighteen people, adults in the class. I taught in the Bible College there. I taught them how to print. They learned how to run a John, uh, make a print of John Romans in Spanish on a little tabletop press. They learned how to staple them, trim them. They did. Uh, they printed about fifteen hundred that week while I was there. Uh, I prayed that God would give me somebody with some intelligence and know how to do, and, and the mechanical ability. That pastor of that church, even though he, he was Mexican, I'm going to tell you something. He was a watchmaker. I don't mean he put pieces of watches together from other parts, he made the parts. This guy's brain worked like a machine. I would demonstrate something, and he'd begin to show me things I didn't realize the press could do. Amen? We We had. Little, very little language barrier. It was like show and tell. I showed and he told. <laughs> anyway, they put me up in a nice hotel, the Guadalupe Hotel with a king-sized bed. I'd never been in a hotel room that big, and it was plush carpet. I was just hoping, wish my wife could have been with me could see all that. They fed me very well, and uh, came time to leave after four days, and I, I asked them about how much would it cost me to uh, fly... Uh, from, from here to Dallas instead of to Monterey. And they checked it, and they said, oh, about $20 more. And I said, well, if I pay the difference, and I came up with some money I had, somebody gave me some in the, on the bus going down, I said, can you fly me? He said, oh, you don't have to worry about it. We'll buy you a ticket. And they flew me to Dallas. But the arrangement was to meet Carlos in Monterey. That's an hour, 150 miles from the border where he was. so I was supposed to come out with him. So I thought, well, if I fly to Dallas, I can spend a half a day with Don Frazier in Bowie, Texas, uh, and then they could pick me up there because they were going to go through there anyway. And so I had that all planned out, and they were going to contact Carlos and let him know that I was out on my way to Dallas. And I get to Dallas, and uh, Don Frazier's secretary and her husband pick me up at the airport uh, there in, in Fort Worth, Dallas-Fort Worth, and they drove me to their house on the west side of Fort Worth. We got to the house. It was 1 o'clock in the morning, and the phone's ringing. And I said jokingly to Bob Walker, it can't be for me. Only God knows where I am, because I don't even really know where I am. He walks in. He picks up the phone. And he answers it, and he says, just a minute. Jim, God wants to talk to you. <laughs> I said, what? I'll go over there and pick up the phone. Oh, Brother Jim. I'm so sorry. I forgot all about you. We left Mexico a day early. I'm three hours out of Dallas. Can you meet me on the east side of Dallas at Motel 6? I'm going to tell this guy who just stayed up, he's got to go to work at 5.30 in the morning. It's 1.30 now. Can you take me over to the east side to Motel 6, which is a long drive, and he has to come back and go to work he never got any sleep all night, but he did. He, he volunteered to do it, bless his heart. And Carlos apologized for leaving early, but if I'd have went to Monterey, um, I, I'd still be there, <laughs> you know? He, I would have missed the bus. But God knew the plan, amen, better than I did. And he set me up to go meet the bus in Dallas. So anyway, uh, he takes me to over to uh, Motel 6 at 3 o'clock in the morning in Dallas, Texas. you got a picture of this. I'm sleeping in a lounge chair on the second story. He comes pulling into the motel at 3 o'clock, blowing the air horn, yelling out the window, Brother Jim, where are you? Brother Jim! And I woke up on a sound sleep, and I dropped, grabbed my luggage in as fast as I could. I was young back then. I was 30. I ran down them steps and got on the bus. I said, Get out of here before we get shot. Do you realize where you are? I mean, he's blowing the air horn. On a bus, at 3 o'clock in the morning in a motel. Now, there you go. That'll wake them up, won't it? Anyway, I'll, I get on the bus, and this whole bunch of people that were on, Mexi- on Mexico rejoicing. They saw 200 people saved in meetings. They were all excited. It was a church out of Michigan that went with them. Uh, the pastor was there and all the deacons, and they had a b- business meeting on the bus, and they voted to take Carlos and I on for support, and they took up an offering instead of buying their souvenirs, They were going to buy me. I didn't know how I was going to get back from Baltimore or from Cincinnati to Baltimore. They voted to take and buy me a plane ticket back. I didn't do it. They did it. God had that all planned. And I traveled all the way down to Mexico City, all the way back to Delaware. And I came home with more money than when I left. And I didn't spend any of my money. God took care of that whole trip. While I was gone, he took care of my wife. She stayed with a pastor, a friend in Denton, Maryland, and his wife. They had a big food pounding for my family. They filled up our freezer. They gave her a love offering of $600 and some dollars. She did better without me than with me, amen? That's our God. We serve God that can do those things. I don't know about you, but nothing happens by accident. We just have to be faithful to do what he wants us to do. Make sure you're in the will of God. That's the important thing. Find out, what do you want me to do, Lord? And then do it, amen? Do it, do it, do it. I mean, don't back away, just do it. You need to give as God wants you to give. Give bountifully. Give of the best that you have. I mean, you know, even the heathen give of their very best. In India, they were giving their babies to the crocodile, thinking that was going to make it better. And it wasn't the sick baby, it was always the healthy baby. Think about that. In uh, New Guinea, my brother-in-law was there, and he was with new tribes, and they they worked with the tribal people, and there were people there that believed they came from an alligator, and they would take the boys, and when they turned uh, about thirteen, puberty age, take them out in the jungle, and they would take and slice in their back cuts in different directions, and they would rub dirt in it and fester these into welts, so that they would their backs would resemble the height of an alligator. And that's how they shed their blood for their little god, the alligator. You see, the devil wants you to shed your blood for him, but God shed his blood for you. He doesn't want you to give up your blood. He wants you to give your life to him. There's a difference. God doesn't want you to die. He wants you to live. God wants to use you for his glory. God has a plan for your life. The devil has a plan to destroy everybody. If he had his way, he'd kill everybody in this room. You know that he don't have his way. <laughs> he's a he's a, he's lost. He's in trouble. He's going to be in the bottomless pit pretty soon for a thousand years. Can you imagine? And he's going to be chained. Praise God for that. Amen. But you and I have power over him through the Word of God. That's our only hope and only help is the Word of God. So we need to give, but we need to give proportionate. You guys, you know, I'm just going to give you a quick synopsis here. We give of what we have, and we give what God tells us to give. Isn't that amazing? An offering is something you decide. It's not something God decides. The tithe is something God decided. He said 10% of what your increase is, you give the tithe. But what you have left over, the deciding thing is you to determine out of what you have, what you want to give to missions. Say, you know, so say maybe God tells you to give $50 a week. Wow, that's terrible. Some people think that's a lot. Some people think it's a little. But what God tells you to do, you do what God says. Amen? Amen. Because you know God knows how to take care of you. I'm telling you this from experience. You can't outgive him. Give proportionally. If you don't know how much to give, give a percentage of your income to God. Give him an extra 1% or 10% and see what God does. You can't outgive him, I guarantee you, and you will never... You will never lose giving to God so that God's word can go farther. You won't lose. That's the mission of the church, is to get the gospel out to the ends of the earth. And he wants it done, and he will use you. He will give to you. In 1 Corinthians 16, 1, it says, Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given order of, to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week let every one of you lay in stone By him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Luke 6, 38 says it real simple. Give shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. And with the measure that you meet, so will your measure be met. Amen? God will multiply what you give. Giving proportionally reveals your priorities. You know, we honor the Lord with our giving. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. We need to learn to give also sacrificially. It's a little beyond, you know, Oh, God, I don't know if I can afford this. Remember the widow's mite? Rich men came in, and they gave out of their abundance and the offering. Her widow came in and she gave her all, a couple of mites. And God honored that widow. Talked about a widow last night who gave it all. And boy, you just can't imagine how Mrs. Smeska felt when she saw how God blessed her for her giving. We can't outgive give God. God can take care of every need. We honor Him through our giving. We honor Him by sacrificially giving. You know, the widow over there in Elijah, with Elijah back in the, First Kings, Elijah came to her after he left down by the river where the ravens were feeding him and God told him to go to this widow's house and he gets there and he says, make me a little cake. What are you doing? I'm going to make a cake and we're going to eat it and die. He said, well, make me a little cake first. Put God first. She honored that. She made the cake. She gave the man of God the portion of the cake. He went to her house. She never waxed out of oil. She never ran out of meal. All the while he lived with her. God took care of her. And then when her son died, who God knew was going to die, God resurrected him from the dead and spared him, and gave. And Elijah was able to give him back to the mother. And the mother said, Now I know thou art a man of God. Wow, the meal and the oil wasn't enough to prove that he was a man of God. had to raise the boy from the dead. Sometimes we expect God to do something we never dreamed of, huh? But God can do anything. He's still God, amen? Give sacrificially. God, by the way, just like in Jesus' day, God sees our giving. You know, when you put it in the offering, God sees it. So does the treasurer, but he's not supposed to tell anybody. God won't tell anybody either, but he knows what you give. And he knows if you're doing what you're supposed to do. God sees what your giving is, but we need to put first God first. I'm going to give you a little rule out I use in my life. Most people, when they get paid, first thing you do when you cash your check is you go to the grocery store, right? Buy groceries. Most people do that. And then they go out and have dinner. Take their wife out, do whatever, have a good time. Nothing wrong with that. And then uh, they'll pay some bills, and then they'll realize if there's any left over, maybe they'll give a tithe to God, if there's any left over. Do you know what you should do? First thing you do is you get paid. Do it God's way, pay your tithe, give your offering because you promised to do that, faith promise, and then you pay your bills. That's important because you, you, you basically owe people because they gave you a service and you said you'd pay them. You have utilities that you said made a contract basically with that you would pay them the utilities. So you pay your bills because you owe them. Pay what you have to. And then pay yourself something. Don't be afraid to give yourself a little extra. And then buy your groceries last. You understand? Why do you buy your groceries last? Because God doesn't tell you to pray for your faith promise. He doesn't pray, tell you to pray for your tithe. He tells you to pray for your daily bread. You see, if you don't have to pray for money that you don't have to pay, pray for, but you do have to pray for your food, <laughs> I'll tell you right now, you'll go maybe a week, maybe, t- maybe two days, some of us, without food, and you'll be praying if you don't have any. You get your bills paid and God taken care of, any money left over, You buy your groceries. You'll find out when you go to the grocery store there's a big sale going on. You can buy more for $10 today than you could have without them. Amen? God knows how to make a dollar go further than you can. Amen? God knows how to bless you in many ways you could never dream. I can't tell you how it works other than it does. You have to prove God. He's the one who said, prove me. Prove the sincerity of your love. Give, and it shall be given unto you. You don't get anything if you don't give anything. You know, what you sow is what you reap. If you give, God gives to you. If you don't give, God don't give to you. It's that simple. You got a son or a daughter in your home, and you tell them to go do the dishes. I ain't going to do no dishes. I'm going to go to bed. That might work once. Didn't work for me, but it did maybe for my sister once. But anyway, eventually I did the dishes, amen, or I did what I was told. When my dad told me to do something, you know, I learned the hard way. Uh, if I refused, I found out he had a way of persuasion. Do you know that God has a way of persuading us to do what he wants us to do? Sometimes God has a way of taking your tithe out of you. You say, why did I go to the hospital and spend three grand? How much did it cost you to buy that new hunting outfit? Don't ask me those questions. Think about it. I know guys that will spend $1,500 easily on a brand new bow, not think anything of it. They'll plan a trip to go elk hunting out in Colorado or Wyoming, and they'll spend $5,000 to do that. But they put $100 into missions. I don't know about you, but I think that's robbing God. I think there ought to be some equality. I don't blame you for going hunting. I have nothing against that. But think about it. If, if you can afford to go into debt like that to hunt, what can you do for missions? Think about it. Would you put yourself in debt for people that are dying and going to hell? Would you put yourself in debt for missionaries that need to get to a field to be able to take the gospel to places where Christ is not named? See, that's, that's the difference between giving and sacrificing. I mean, if I'd sacrifice so I could hunt, I ought to sacrifice so I, I, somebody could go to the field. Amen? There ought to be inequality and there ought to be a balance and God is going to hold us accountable and one day we give account to God. That's it. We give according to what we have and not what we don't have. I w- I'm not recommending go in debt, amen? But I am recommending give out of the abundance of what you have. Put God first in your giving, amen? He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. For every $10 given to missions, there's somebody gets saved. I can pretty much guarantee that. I have seen literally hundreds of people saved on mission trips because people gave, first of all, of themselves to go to the field and deliver the Word of God. And some people gave so those people could go. I had a young fellow who wanted to go with us on a mission trip. He had no money, but he decided he was going to start collecting aluminum cans in town. In Antigo, that all that big city of Antigo, right? He went all over town on his bicycle, picked up aluminum cans in every garbage can, in every park, went around, picked up all these cans, kept saving them, saving them so he could raise money to go to Mexico. And then getting close, he went to cash them in and found out the price of aluminum went from 30 cents a pound to 65 cents a pound. And he cashed them in and he was able to pay his way to Mexico. Isn't that amazing? All through junk. <laughs> Literally, God met his need. He was willing to work for it, and God blessed his work, his labor. The only thing he could do was collect cans. Amen? We serve a mighty God. The question is, how are we going to give? Are you involved? I use the word faith, promise, giving. I would prefer to use grace. It's the grace of God that we have the privilege to give. It's the grace of God that we're saved. It's through grace, by faith that we do give. Remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. God, what would you have me to do? Ask God for the impossible, and then just do it. Do what he says to do. If he tells you to do something that sounds weird, do it anyway. It don't matter to God at all. Nothing is weird to God, amen? Let's have our heads bowed, please. Give God all the glory in all that you say and do. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ.